Welcome to Hominum Revelio, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Mary. And I'm Jeff. We're friends who met at a Harry Potter book club. We both value intimacy, but are overwhelmed with the vast number of people we could connect to and the different methods we have to communicate with them. We can reach out to people all over the world faster than ever, but the interactions are seldom intimate and often leave us feeling even more lonely. We want to learn how to create authentic connections despite all these challenges. To do this, we're turning to people we both already are connected to, characters from the Harry Potter series. In this episode, we'll be examining Luna Lovegood in the role as a nonconformist. If you don't remember everything about Luna, don't worry. Mary and I will cover as many facts as possible about Luna in 30 seconds, alternating details, and try not to repeat ourselves. Mary, are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, let's put 30 seconds on the clock. Three, two, one, go. Uh, she's a Ravenclaw. Luna has long, dirty blonde hair. Uh, she's the same year as Ginny. She makes her own jewelry. Uh, she was raised by her single dad. She roots for Gryffindor and Quidditch when Ravenclaw's not playing against them. Uh, she's a member of Dumbledore's army. She grows dirigible plums in her front garden. Uh, she gets eat Thestrals. She gets taken by Voldemort and his crew with Ollivander. Uh, her Patronus is a hare. She doesn't like Ron. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, I hope you all remember Luna now after our great recap. <laughs> 30 seconds in <laughs> for one whole character is hard. Well, to help us um, give it even more of a, a full picture of Luna, now that we remember the canon details of her character, Jeff and I are going to go through some fun, more imaginative questions about who we think she would be if she were in our world today. Um, so we've prepared answers to these questions. We have not heard each other's answers, and we're going to go over them together now. Okay, Jeff, the first question is... If Luna was a DJ or a rapper, what would her DJ or rapper name be? I thought of Chance the Rapper. Uh, oh. And so one of, I think the name that Luna would choose is Looney the Lion Tamer. What? So they call her Looney Lovegood behind her back. I think she's aware of the teasing. And so she would subvert the insult and claim it as her own and on top of that you know yeah she's a ravenclaw but i think she would again subvert that and she would show the gryffindors who's boss she's loony the lion tamer how about you what, what do you think her name would be that is so fierce and i love that for her <laughs> i'm picturing her wearing her giant uh lion hat that's amazing so actually similarly i went i used loony as well i said her dj name would be looney tunes ah but it would be, you know, instead of L-L-O-N-Y-T-O-O-N-S, it would be, you know, spelled like Luna, so L-O-L-U-N-Y, sorry, and then T-U-N-E with a Z, I think. Or Colin actually suggested that it should be with a dollar sign, um, Colin, my husband, <laughs> instead of a Z at the end. So, I mean, take that. <laughs> with a, you can you can choose, uh, everyone, whether or not you think uh, Luna would have a dollar sign at the end or a Z. I think she's more of a Z kid myself, but... Ooh, I love both of those so much. Those I really good. need really to go good. to an underground music show where Luna is DJing or rapping. Great. Okay, so the next question is, if Luna got a considerable sum of money, we'll say, you know, a couple hundred dollars, what is it that Luna would most likely splurge on? 
I don't think Luna really values material goods. So instead, I think she she likes experiences. Her favorite muggle music artist is Lady Gaga. So oh. she would go see Lady Gaga in concert, try to get like a maybe like a VIP ticket, maybe a meet and greet, so she can dance all night long to uh, Lady Gaga's songs. Wow, I <laughs> have never thought about Luna Lovegood and Lady Gaga at the same time, but I can see it. I can totally see it. I agree. I don't think that she's super into material things herself, but I said that she would give a gift to someone that was super passive aggressive, but she means it so (laughs) sincerely. So like she would be like, oh, here's some new um, some new robes because I noticed that yours are really smelly or something like that. But she would she would not mean it in any kind of mean way. It would just be like (laughs) really passive aggressive without her ever realizing it. Okay, I love our answers. Final question. If Luna was on a dating app today, what would be the opening line of her bio on said dating app? If you want to love me, you'll have to love the Thestrals and hate the Nargles. Whoa. <laughs> You're talking about these creatures that only she can see, you know, some real, some imaginary. She would have to be with someone who accepted all that stuff of her, you know, and be open about it. Obviously, you know, that's this is like a controversial take, you know, do Nargles exist? Who knows? <laughs> we know Thestrals exist. She doesn't necessarily want someone to see the Thestrals with her because that's also kind of, that's pretty dark. Right. But that person has to accept her for who she is and all that encompasses. I love that. I love how fierce that is for Luna that she would just come come out guns blazing saying, <laughs> if you want to love me, you got to love my creatures that I that I believe in and, and super love. I said that Luna would have just like no context, like a Latin quote from her favorite artist of like the second century or something <laughs> that would be just super obscure. Most people would not understand what it was, but she'd be waiting for that one person who would be like, hey, I also really like this this person and I know exactly what you're talking about by putting this quote on here. And, and I think she might wait a while for that, but that's what I think her her bio would be. People who do stuff like that, you're looking for that Prince Charming, perfect person that may or may not exist. That might be a tough, tough sell. Oh, I didn't say she was doing well on her dating app. (laughs) Again, if she puts that, I I can definitely see that. I just don't know how successful she'll be, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Now that we've fleshed out Luna's character a bit, Mary's going to share a story about being a nonconformist. Thanks, Jeff. So when I'm thinking about nonconformity, the first thing that comes to mind for me is this quote by an author that I love named Glennon Doyle. She says, every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. So when I think about the nonconformist, I think about someone who is making those choices every day to not disappoint themselves, to sort of follow their inner truth or their inner light. In thinking about a story in my own life that is applicable here, I'm thinking of sort of where I grew up. So for context, I I grew up in Oklahoma City, or a suburb rather of Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma is a place where most people who are there are very much there on purpose. They have been there for their whole lives. Their families are all there. Most people once they grow up, they stay there. They, they might move a little bit far away from their families, with, but within the state. And that's a big part of the culture that I grew up in. 
When I was becoming an adult and and coming out of college and early into being married, um, my husband and I both felt that we did not want to settle down immediately in Oklahoma. And that was a scary feeling because uh, it was very much against the expectations of where we grew up. Like our family and our friends were all... You know, making plans to stay there and to, to have us be close by as well. But we knew really strongly that it wasn't necessarily the right place for us at the time. When the time came for us to make the decision to leave and move away, it took a long time for us to actually get to that point where we felt like we were able to do the hard thing of moving away because we didn't want to disappoint the people that were around us um, and the people that we loved so much. And eventually it became really clear that we had this choice. We were sort of at this crossroads of do we stay here and fulfill this expectation that has been put on us by this world that we've grown up in and deny ourselves this truth, this goal that we that we have in our own lives? Or do we honor that um, sort of deep knowing that there's more for us out there than, you know, what we have here by disappointing, for lack of a better word, the people that we love? In the end, we did have to make that choice to honor our own knowing, our own guidance, and, and sort of seek what we felt was really right for us. And it did end up disappointing some people. And I'm really excited to talk about this idea of nonconformity because that decision was something that happened to us about four years ago now. I feel like I'm certainly a different person now than I was then. And I also would say that the decision to honor my own knowing, my own guidance, was the best decision that I've ever made. Honoring my own knowing has sort of been the best part of that experience. So I'm excited to talk about that in the context of Luna today. Mary, thank you for sharing uh, that story. I'm really curious. You and your husband made this decision together, and you guys were in sync with you know each other. But you had to now tell your friends and family the bad news that you were leaving. I know this was a difficult decision, and I know people make decisions like that all the time. Not necessarily about like moving away, but a decision that is not comfortable with the people they love. I wonder what advice would you give to someone who was afraid of telling their friends and family a hard truth that they're afraid of disappointing those people? Mm, That's so real. I would say that the people who love you care ultimately more about you living the life that is the best life for you than they do about their own, you know, selfish (laughs) comfort or happiness when it comes to your own decisions, even if it takes them weeks, months, years to come to that conclusion that what they actually care the most about is your happiness and and your well-being. I think that those who really love us will be supportive in the end. The best that you can do is do some self-reflection, find your reason why, you know, you have this core, this deep knowing this deep desire and explain that to them the best that you can and also do it with love and um, just hope for the best, you know. And also I would say be patient with them because Mm -hmm. most of the time if they bump up against you, especially as just a gut reaction to you telling them something about what you need (laughs) that's different than what they expected of you, they might have a gut reaction that's actually different than the way that they would want to react in the end. So I would say be patient. Great. Thank you very much.
I'm really excited to talk about Luna. She's one of my favorite characters, but also about this Same. role, the, the nonconformist role. So I think about Luna when Harry and Ron at least meet her. She is the unpopular kid. She's the weird kid. She's the kid who reads magazines upside down mm-hmm. and the one who believes in these like fantastical creatures even though they are live in a world of fantastical creatures already but even extra fantastical creatures that no one <laughs> yes. else believes in she's the kid who is made fun of as a reader i think it's quirky and it's adorable and that she does you know show herself to be a wonderful person as well as a, a formidable witch it feels like the label of the the weird kid the nonconformist is a barrier for a lot of the other students to get to know Luna, to get to see who she is beyond all this weird outside things. Yeah. I want to talk about the idea of what empathy can do towards nonconformity. That empathy can transform nonconformity into a conversation starter. Because when we see people who are different than us, like really different than us, oftentimes that is something that we shy away from. Oh, they're too different. I, they, I have nothing in common with them. But if we can be curious with empathy, we can come to those people in a really caring manner, in a really giving manner. Hmm. My first question to you, Mary, is how can we shift our judgment of the Lunas in our life into curiosity? I love that idea of asking what empathy can do through curiosity for nonconformity, because I think that someone who is a nonconformist in some way Our perception of them from the outside is so different from when we ourselves are being nonconformist in some way. When we are Mm. following our own, living our own truth, to use a buzz phrase, really acting out, out our own core values and desires, it feels so honest and real and it comes from this place of just like pure confidence and and not really caring what other people think. Whenever we see someone else doing that, you know, sometimes it's perceived as super cool, but then sometimes it sort of pushes someone to the outskirts of um, social circles and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I'm interested in that distance between those two reactions to nonconformity. I feel like for me with with Luna specifically, I, too, find her very charming and just quirky and and so adorable as as I read her as a character. But then what's interesting to me is whenever I start thinking about people in my life who I've encountered who are like Luna in real life. Unfortunately, my experience has been that I don't usually think of them as cute and adorable immediately. I'm usually kind of like put off by the fact that they're not following the social script that Mm. I'm following maybe making me feel uncomfortable because it makes me feel vulnerable whenever my social script is no longer the predictable one in the situation. When I think of Luna through that lens of the reality of like, what would it be like if I actually was encountering Luna? And what has my past experiences been encountering people who are like Luna? I find myself judging her all over the place. You know, I'm like, Luna, why can't you just be cool? Like, obviously, this person is asking you (laughs) something and you're just answering a totally different question or you're bringing up something that you really don't need to bring up in the situation. My judgment for Luna is actually, you know, on every page (laughs) where we see her. And I hate that. So when I'm thinking about turning that judgment into curiosity, I mean, I think a lot of that for me is just sort of asking those questions about like, why is Luna behaving that way? And trying to like see things from her perspective. 
I see her as one of the most sincere characters mm-hmm. in the Harry Potter story. And so everything that she does, she's not doing it to get attention or to be funny or to make people feel uncomfortable. Like she's doing it because she's just being a not she is a nonconformist. She's living out her most sincere truth, her like deepest values and beliefs with no regard for how other people will perceive her. And when I look at it that way, I'm like, that's so beautiful. You know, I want to be more like Luna. So I feel like I have this sort of full circle situation with Luna when I look at my judgment of her and then I come back to that like, well, yeah, how can I change that judgment to curiosity? And that's where I land. What about you, Jeff? Use the word sincerity. Definitely Luna is the most sincere person, at least among the students that we encounter. Yeah. I wonder about that social script that you're supposed to dress a certain way, talk in a certain way. When we go off the script, people get sometimes confused. They can think we're unpredictable. Like you talked about the social script as a predictable way of behavior. Mm. Who created the script and why does that script exist? Who that script even benefits? Because it doesn't always benefit everyone. There is no manual of how to be a cool kid. <laughs> but we figure out, at least through through context clues, what's acceptable, what's not. Luna didn't get that book. She didn't pick up on the cues. She's just doing what she's doing, the, her sincere, authentic self. And that's scary in a lot of ways. At least for me, if I felt like I can be authentic, that means that I didn't have a script to fall back on. If I did things on my own... There might not be anyone walking with me. And that's what Mm. we see Luna, or at least early on in the story, is that no one's walking with her. She's doing what she's doing, but she's by herself. She's sitting in the car in the Hogwarts Express by herself, and she doesn't really have other people to hang out with. Um, Mm. Even though she's part of this house, Ravenclaw, the other kids in that house shun her. That's scary because Luna wants friends. She doesn't know how to go about finding friends because she is just so different than the other kids. And so while that is beautiful, that's also very risky Hmm. to be a nonconformist, to be who you want to be. And I think, again, think about your story, that probably one of your fears, right? That you and your husband would say, we're leaving. And then all your friends would just be like, oh, we're never talking to you again because you're leaving us. Yeah, I think that fear of being alone is what holds so many of us back from nonconformity and nonconformity in the sense that it means sort of living as your true self. You're talking about the social script, too. I think you're right in asking that question of like, who does this social script even benefit? And Mm -hmm. I think the answer is that it benefits those who are in power. It makes me think of those sort of images of like, which path will you take um, going down a road? Like, will you take the the easy one that is wide because so many people have taken it? Or will you take the the harder path that is perhaps more beautiful, more mysterious, more adventurous? But one of the big risks that you take with that path is that you will be alone. That definitely resonates with me, what you're saying, Jeff. Like, for us in in deciding to move to California from Oklahoma, that was a fear in that way that our friends would sort of say, well, bye, <laughs> you know, and then just move on without us. And, you know, to some extent that does have to happen. But like, I remember feeling very afraid, you know, that it was like, well, am I just going to be saying goodbye to these relationships mm-hmm. that I've put so much work into by making this decision? And that part of what made that decision really scary. But it's the idea of what we think of happiness. Like if we are intent of having friendships 
And are we willing to sacrifice our own values to follow the social script? Or are we more interested in our own self-interest to do our own thing, break the script, and possibly leave behind other people? It's a balance. I don't necessarily think we should do things to the detriment of other people. Sometimes the social script is important, but sometimes it's not. And it's really hard to differentiate when those times are, though. Mm. Um, because we can't just necessarily do everything on our own. We still need other people. I mean, I think that's why we have this podcast is that we're we're seeking empathy. We're trying to practice empathy, and empathy requires other people. Well, I'm not advocating for living a life in the wilderness by ourselves. Right. And I think without a social script, to some degree, society would collapse. <laughs> and mm-hmm. A smarter person than I could certainly argue, you know, the, the merits of different types of social scripts and societies in general. But as humans, we're wired to live in community. To some degree, we all have to have that a little bit of that instinct that's sort of giving up a little bit of our own self or personal rights or comfort or whatever for the for the good of the whole group. And that discussion is is maybe for another day. That's a whole wormhole we could go down. Mm-hmm. But there is a balance that needs to be yeah. found for sure. So going back to Luna, I, I'm just curious, where do we see her caring for herself in her nonconformity? Nonconformity can be kind of sticking it to the powers that be. But that's not Luna. She's not necessarily trying to like be vindictive in her nonconformity. I think she's, you know, being authentic. How is she caring for herself? Do you have an example of that? Oh, I love that idea of self care through nonconformity because one without the other, just it can become kind of toxic. Like, self-care because or through sort of believing in oneself or believing in your own values. I think that is caring for yourself, you know, choosing to say like, I care for and honor myself enough to trust that I know what's best for me. You know, in general, that's definitely a place where I see, you know, Luna caring for herself all the time. I mean, on a more specific level, I am thinking of just like times when Luna just really blatantly goes against what everyone else is doing in a social situation. Like even in the first scene when we meet her, um, when they're on the train and I think Ron is the one that says a joke and Luna just starts laughing along with everyone else and then she just keeps laughing <laughs> and it's awkward for everyone <laughs> everyone else um, but she just can't stop and, and she just laughs her little heart out until she, you know she's done laughing and it's you know crickets from everyone else but I just think that that is a that's a moment that stands out to me as like such beautiful self-care because she's just not gonna hide her joy or shorten her joy for the sake of the social script or or for the sake of making other people feel comfortable she's just like i'm experiencing this joy and i'm going to experience it you know without hesitation yeah i i think of that as that same thing it's that sort of valuing and honoring herself and her own positive feelings like her joy like you know she's like i deserve to feel this joy i'm i'm feeling it so mm-hmm. i'm going to feel it all the way i'm not going to hold back or anything and i see that as absolutely caring for herself the other thing that i would say is that luna is not afraid to confront people whenever mm-hmm. a hard truth needs to be said and i think that's the other side of self care that's that's sort of also venturing into like boundaries territory which i think is a big part of self care is learning how to set good boundaries with other people. But 
I'm thinking of times when she's called out Ron both to his face and to Harry privately and just said like, hey, he's kind of mean sometimes or, Mm -hmm. you know, we see Luna do that a few times. And I think that that's really her caring for herself, too, and caring for other people and that she's, you know, speaking what's true out there and not in a hateful way, but just in a like, I'm just going to tell the truth kind of way. The idea of, of having boundaries is really important. This is who I am. In some ways, it's a take it or leave it with Luna. You know, like she's not bowing down to popular demand. Right. She is who she is, but it's also like I'm not willing to stray from my values or stray from my taste even. And that's difficult because a lot of us want to be loved, want to want to have friends. And sometimes we're willing to compromise our values and our boundaries And that can lead to a lot of unfortunate uh, circumstances where we do things we know we shouldn't do. But Lena never goes that way. She's, in a lot of ways, that's much of a nonconformist is that she's not willing to budge. Mm. Again, for someone so young, too, not willing to, to compromise. Yeah, I think that Luna is someone who is very clear with the people around her, what her expectations are of them, almost more than anyone other than maybe like Dumbledore I'm trying to think of another character in the story that we see do this better than Luna and I'm kind of coming up short I I think Luna is so very clear with the people around her both who are close friends and even people who um, she doesn't know as well about what she expects of them whether that's you know that they will accept her or not interfere when she just is herself and that might be a little different from everyone else and people can love her or hate her but she's just going to be who she is and Mm -hmm. I think that's a form of sort of setting up the expectations of like this is just me so me just being me is setting expectations that you're going to either accept me or deny me I guess or reject me for for who I am either way it's going to be for her true self and also just like I was saying before those those times when we see her call people out or say something that's real and true that might be something other people would hold back out of politeness I think what's really important that is something I always forget about (laughs) expectations and and boundaries is that other people can't really be expected to uphold something or a boundary or an expectation of yours if it's not communicated clearly to them. Yeah. Someone's doing something that bothers you. There's only so much room that we have to be upset with them without then communicating our hurt Mm -hmm. towards them. Before we can, you know, then get mad at them for for continuing that behavior. Of course, there's exceptions to all of those rules, but I think that that's relationships and friendships and everything that that's true. Yeah, well, that begs a point where if we're going off the social script and doing our own thing and we're being the nonconformist, that means the boundaries are changed. And I feel like maybe that's why the social script is really acceptable for most people. Oh, because yeah. we don't have to have these uncomfortable conversations about this is my boundary. This is your boundary. We're not going to cross these lines. This is all okay. And it's unsaid. It's not literally spoken. And so we don't have – we can just kind of like agree mm. to whatever this is, whatever we're doing. But when someone breaks that cycle, now we don't know where the boundaries are. And so if we're going to be nonconformists – it's really important that we're clear with our boundaries. And I feel like that's where modern society is changing because we're not necessarily doing the things that our parents did. Like you talked like in your story, your parents raised you in Oklahoma. Obviously, it's a physical boundary, you leaving 
the state, but there's also the social boundary of like, you're not supposed to leave. You're supposed to stay here and you're supposed to like raise your kids here. And we're all supposed to be a big, Mm. one big happy family together in a close area. And you broke that. And that was obviously difficult because very few people in your community did that. It's hard to have those conversations. It's hard to have those those discussions, but those are also really necessary. If we're going to do something different, we have to make it clear and not necessarily that, that I'm doing something different, but why? Why am I doing this? Why is it important to me? And why is it not necessarily a slight at you? Right. Wasn't that part of the problem too, at least in your in your mind, is that if you left, you'd be angering people. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I've never really thought about what you're saying before, but it's making a lot of sense to me, especially for Luna, but also just with my own experience. When we left, we changed the script. We weren't getting married, buying a house, buying a dog, having kids, doing all of these things that are great life choices for whoever wants to make them. But for us, it just wasn't the right thing. And that was very much the social script. And we sort of looked at that and said, you know, we're going to choose something else. Like our path is somewhere else. And part of what was scary for them about that was that then they didn't know the script that we were following Mm -hmm. um, because the script that we were following was our own and it was unwritten. Yeah. That required us to and requires us continually to be more clear about ways in which we are still going to speak to the needs and expectations of the people that we love. We have to talk about like we will come back every so often or like we're going to maintain our friendships in this type of way. All That looks so different depending on who exactly we're talking to and what's going on in our lives and their lives and the year that we're having and whatever. But I didn't really think about it in these terms, but we did do that. You know, when we left, we we sat down with the people that we are closest to and, and heard their concerns. And a lot of them boiled down to fear of losing closeness or connection. We had to really be clear and talk through, have those hard conversations because those are hard and vulnerable conversations to have. I think that that's a beautiful gift and a challenge that nonconformity gives us. We are working off of an unwritten script. And so it takes away this understanding that so many of us have of like, well, X, Y, and Z is how things are going to go. And if you do A, then I'm going to follow up with B. And there's some built-in, you know, generic boundaries that we can follow. But when we're setting our own, we have to really communicate them and be vulnerable and be real about them. And that's, that's scary. When I think about Luna doing all this, it just reminds me of she's one of the bravest characters in the story. Because she is doing something that is really different than the other kids, she's being very courageous. And I'm not saying that to be kind of derisive because sometimes I feel like that's also a, a term of people. Oh, you're so brave. It's like a subtle dig. But she is really is brave because she is being authentic. And that's scary and that's a place of vulnerability. I remember her standing up to Harry when Harry is insistent of going to the ministry to save Sirius by himself, along with uh, Neville and Ginny, says, we're going to. Mm. And they're not taking no for an answer. The DA is actually pretty big, but it's only these three friends who showed up. They're sticking to their guns, and they want to be alongside Harry. That's scary. We can all say, I'm going to be authentic, And I'm going to be my true self, no matter what the cost or no matter who's around. But when push comes to shove, not all of us are going to do that. 
but Luna does. Yeah, I feel like that example that you brought up of the standing outside of the Forbidden Forest when they're trying to decide how do we get to the ministry. And I see her being brave in two ways there. I see her being just literally brave in that she's willing to follow her friends into this actually dangerous, like physically dangerous situation and break a million rules and, you know, go on this like crazy adventure. Like that in and of itself is just basic bravery, basic courage. But then I also see her really risking the only relationships that she has outside of her family for the sake of doing what she knows is the right thing to do. I guess I'm thinking of of how angry Harry is and how frantic he is in that moment Mm -hmm. and how he is just like distraught at the idea that the rest of them, Ginny and Neville and and Luna would be even thinking about going with him because he's just like, I'm not putting my friends in this danger. Um, And it makes him really angry. And I almost see that as like Luna is like, I don't care if you hate me or if you're angry with me, but I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to follow you on this journey. And I don't know. I I see that as being really, really brave as well, because she's she's sort of willing to let Harry and or the others be upset with her or even reject her completely for the sake of doing what she knows is right in that situation. I think that's what's really beautiful about Luna. While she does things really differently than the other kids, she does care about other people and she is very sincere in that. And we only see a few glimpses because she's not one of the main characters. We see that the most when the trio go visit her father and they see the mural in her bedroom. And it's just like, wow, we never knew. And again, Luna isn't perfect. She could have been a lot more forthright with her feelings toward the others. But again, she is a very wonderful character. And even though she's super different and really quirky... I feel like she is someone that we can really look up to and someone we can really, in a lot of ways, emulate, both for her dedication to authenticity and for her courage to stick to her guns and to continue to be who she is despite the craziness around her and even some of the confusion around some of the the social stuff. So, And now we'll move into our empathy practice. We're going to listen to a passage from one of the Harry Potter books, and we're going to imagine ourselves as Luna, the subject of this episode. If you can do this safely, feel free to close your eyes and get into a comfortable position. Imagine yourself as Luna. What do you see? What do you hear? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Mary and I will do this too. And after we listen to the passage, Mary and I will discuss our experience as Luna to practice empathy by being in her shoes. Mary, are you ready to read the passage? Yeah, for sure. Harry did not read any further. Fudge might have many faults, but Harry found it extremely hard to imagine him ordering goblins to be cooked in pies. He flicked through the rest of the magazine. Pausing every few pages, he read an accusation that the Tutsil Tornadoes were winning the Quidditch League by a combination of blackmail, illegal broom tampering, and torture. An interview with a wizard who claimed to have flown to the moon on a clean sweep six and brought back a bag of moon frogs to prove it and an article on ancient runes, which at least explained why Luna had been reading the Quibbler upside down. According to the magazine, if you turned the runes on their heads, they revealed a spell to make your enemy's ears turn into kumquats. In fact, compared to the rest of the articles in the Quibbler, the suggestion that Sirius might really be the lead singer of the Hobgoblins was quite sensible. Anything good in there? asked Ron as Harry closed the magazine. 
Of course not, said Hermione scathingly, before Harry could answer. The quibbler's rubbish. Everyone knows that. Excuse me, said Luna. Her voice had suddenly lost its dreamy quality. My father's the editor. I, oh, said Hermione, looking quite embarrassed. Well, it's got some interesting, I mean, it's quite, I'll have it back, thank you, said Luna coldly. And leaning forward, she snatched it out of Harry's hands. Rifling through it to page 57, she turned it resolutely upside down again and disappeared behind it, just as the compartment door opened for the third time. So, Jeff, I'm interested to hear what you saw and thought and felt as Luna in this situation. So I was actually pretty uh, pleased in the beginning because Harry Potter, the famous Harry Potter, is reading my father's magazine. And so... um, no one reads The Quibbler other than me and my father. At least no one in Hogwarts. I like the fact that he was like checking it out and he, kept, he was reading through it. And But then Hermione said what she said. And I was just really annoyed with her. It's like, you haven't read it. How do you know? Why are you judging me? And just getting this attitude. And that's why I, uh, when I got the magazine back, I turned it upside down just right in front of everyone just to keep reading those ancient runes. What did I do to deserve this kind of dig? And again, I took it personally because my father is the the editor, so I have a stake in this. I I just felt like that slight was really unfair. I felt like uh, I was being judged unjustly. How about you, Mary? What did you feel? I felt a little bit, (laughs) was probably projecting, but like a little social anxiety as Luna watching Harry read this because I know exactly what he's reading. I felt excited, like, oh, this this is a person who wants to read what I'm reading, and maybe we can talk about it, and it'll be a friend, you know? <laughs> and so I felt excited about that, but then also just the vulnerability that comes with that excitement of like, oh, but he's going to know what I've been reading, and what if he thinks it's stupid or or whatever? And, and so I felt really that mixture of like hopeful and wary <laughs> of what was going to happen. And then I, I felt pretty crushed. <laughs> by Hermione, especially because I was just thinking, like, I'm so proud of my dad for, like, this publication that he has. And, you know, he works so hard and really writes about stuff that he believes in. And and so then to have uh, Hermione sort of just slam this down, even before I could hear what Harry had to say, because Harry's who I really wanted to hear from, because he's the one that wanted to read the magazine. And then, you know, that I was like, oh, maybe this will be my friend who who I can talk about this with. I was sad that I didn't really even get to hear from him because his friend Mm -hmm. sort of interrupted. So, yeah, kind of sad. Thank you, Mary. Now that we've spent this time talking about Luna, I'm curious of how this conversation has challenged us. So in our discussion and, and this just examination of Luna, I'm thinking about I'm going back to my definition of of what nonconformity means and how it's sort of living as one's true self, which is a challenge in and of itself. Um, but I'm thinking of Luna specifically and the way that her nonconformity really challenges me. Something that I see about her is that her ability to follow her own gut, to follow her own intuition is it opens up this whole sort of window for her and um, that allows her to love the people around her even better than she could um, if she was just focused on the social script or focused on being cool or whatever else she would be focusing on. And I just feel really called to 
get my face out of the mirror, (laughs) the metaphorical mirror, and and sort of stop worrying about what other people might think of me so that I can love them better. And, And I'm just thinking about the ways in which Luna sets other people free to be themselves. And I just feel like that's how I want to live my life. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm feeling called to examine my own values and ask myself how I can live out of those values more than I am now. What about you, Jeff? What do you feel challenged by or called to from our conversation? I think about the moment when Harry wants to go to the Ministry of Magic. Again, Luna with Neville and Ginny really call him out and say, we're going to. They're challenging Harry's authority. He is the teacher. He is the leader of the, the DA. And they're blatantly saying no. And they say, we're going with you. And the text does say that of all the people in the DA, these are the three he wants to go with them the least. Luna, again, is sticking to her guns. And she knows that this is where she needs to be, where they need to be together. The challenge for me is to really be honest and open with the things that I disagree with and not just let other people dictate to me. I should speak up more or when I know this this has to be said. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Jeff. You've been listening to Hominum Revelio, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Mary Ogilvie, and today I'd like to highlight The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the leading national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. For more information, please visit their website at thetrevorproject.org. You can find me on Instagram at at hellomaryo. You can find Hominum Revelio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at at reveliopod. Or you can visit our website at reveliopod.com. If you felt challenged by part of our conversation today, please send us a voicemail to reveliopod at gmail.com. We will be compiling voicemails for a special episode at the end of season one. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. We would also appreciate a five-star review on the podcast app of your choice. Hominum Revelio is hosted by me, Mary Ogilvie, and Jeff San Gabriel. This episode is produced by Annie Hall and edited by Jeff San Gabriel. Music and sound design by Aaron Newberry. Website is designed by me, Mary Ogilvie. Episode transcription is by Kimberly San Gabriel. Special thanks to Kimberly Bassett for coming up with the podcast name and to Colin Ogilvie and Kimberly San Gabriel for their constant support. Finally, thank you for listening. And remember, there's magic between us.